Hello, I'm Karis. And I'm Rachel. And together we are the Therapy Sisters podcast, where we invite you to come home to yourself. We are therapists, sisters, and works in progress. Do you have a success story of overcoming something challenging in your life? We want to hear from you. Please email your story to thetherapysisters at gmail.com to be included in our regular installment of Own Your Story. We want to encourage fellow female journeyers with stories of success and growth. We want to note that although we are clinical therapists, this podcast is not a replacement for individual therapy and we are not here to give clinical advice. Please see our show notes for recommendations of therapists in your area. Hi there, this is Karis with the Therapy Sisters, and we have a couple of special invitations for you. First, we have started a private ladies-only Facebook community. Our mission with this community is to provide a supportive network of women to help facilitate connection, growth, and learning. Rachel and I will be showing up there regularly, and eventually we'll be providing lots of helpful resources, tips, tools, and guidance to help women connect to themselves and step into their most authentic, balanced lives. If this sounds interesting to you, the group is called the Authentically You Sisterhood. Second, we have a gift for you. If you are interested in digging deeper on the four areas of connection we covered in our first series, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational, we have written a guide with lots of ways to lean into each of those areas and with journaling prompts and exercises that will help facilitate the journey of coming home to your authentic self. You can find links to the Facebook group and to the guide in our show notes. Now, on to the show. Well, hello and welcome. We have joining with us today, Tatiana McDougall, who... um, I know personally and adore, but just for those of you who don't know her, she is a, has her doctorate in clinical psychology, her PhD, um, and is really kind of a specialist when it comes to EFT and CBT, which we spoke about in one of our previous episodes. And so just to review, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy and EFT is emotion focused therapy. Um, Among Tatiana's many accomplishments, uh, she started an EFT clinic, actually, or training clinic at the VA. Um, And so she's been doing this work uh, specific to EFT for about 13 years now, Um, but for the last couple of years has worked as a clinical manager for Lyra Health, and that's how I know her, because she's my clinical manager. So I get the privilege of learning from her on a regular basis. And today you all get the privilege of learning from her. So Tatiana, welcome. We're so glad you could join us today. We had a few technical difficulties in getting started. So thank you for your patience. Um, But we're so glad you're here and we're really excited to talk to you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's just such a pleasure. Um, I really enjoy, I enjoy working with you, Karis, and I just enjoy also talking about EFT and CBT. So super excited. Yeah, great. All right. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this field of work and specifically then how you ended up specializing in EFT and sort of came into contact with CBT as well? Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Happy to. I mean, I am a psychologist really because it was um, a little bit like in my own kind of like family history and upbringing, honestly. My dad is a psychiatrist and um, my mom is also a physician. She's a rheumatologist. And I just kind of assumed that I was going to be a physician, honestly. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it wasn't like they were pressuring me. It just sort of was like, well, this is what adults do. You know what I mean? They just Mm -hmm. go to a degree. Um, And so I, you know, went to college and was pre-med and um, really quickly was like, oh, I actually don't enjoy (laughs) 
I don't enjoy it at all. Um, and I don't, I don't think I'm in it for the same reasons, right? Like I think mm. there are some people who really have a passion for sort of like the curiosity around like medical science. And I was just always much more interested in like people and like their stories and thinking mm-hmm. about them a little bit more broadly. So I, yeah, I did sort of like a few years of like, I just don't really know what I want to do. I actually majored in something that was really like um, an integrative um, degree that incorporated literature, philosophy, and the arts. And um, oh, wow, yeah, left college really not knowing at all. I didn't mm-hmm. take a single psych class as an undergrad, um, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, sort of wandered around for a little bit, um, you know, doing a few different jobs and things. And the thread that kept sort of coming out was like, I just, I really do invo- enjoy helping people, but there has to be a different mm-hmm. way other than being mm-hmm. a medical doctor. So mm-hmm. um, I ended up doing a little bit of research as a way of kind of testing out if I wanted to go into the psychology field. And I, you know, the universe sort of happens in kind of um, uh, in, in ways that, that feel sort of like predetermined when you look back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I fell mm-hmm. in a research lab that was doing research on attachment. And I was like, this is like literally the coolest thing that I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that like, we can think about relationships and development and psychopathology and, um, you know, so many cool levers, right. To like pull when we think about like family systems and, and mm-hmm. early childhood. Um, so I did, I, I really enjoyed that. And that was kind of my cue that like, oh, I do, I like the field of mm-hmm. psychology is one that will be enriching for me. So I applied to to graduate programs and, you know, was accepted, found a good fit. And similarly, like really was interested in families, relationships, attachment, um, but just prioritized like a really good, strong training program. Um, so that's a little mm-hmm. bit how I kind of fell into CBT. I went to the University of Maryland um, in Baltimore County, and um, that's just a very strong like EBP training program. So all of my kind of practicum and coursework involved like a really heavy focus on CBT, but I was always really interested in relationships, right? And like, how do we think mm-hmm. beyond just that, that intrapsychic inter- level of intervention that we take in CBT? So I just looked for other ways that I could kind of, you know, fill that like outside of my classes and my coursework. And, um, I was lucky enough that there was a professor who joined our faculty like halfway through my degree and she was studying relationships. She was studying um, adult mm. relationships, newly newlyweds. And she was actually looking at like what mm. kind of predicts um, conflict separation and eventually divorce. And I was much more interested in like what are the things that sort of bring people together, right? Like from a yeah. lens, but she was willing to take me on in her lab. So I did my dissertation um, in her lab on attachment um, and a like a way of thinking about the process of intimacy. And mm. um, from there, I just sort of went and kind of pulled attachment in like wherever I could. So when I went on internship, mm. I did a generalist um, training program, but <laughs> I was able to just say like, I'm interested in couples therapy. I'm interested in relationships. I'm interested in family interventions. And I think that like, I will say specifically like in the, in the world of um, doctoral level psychologists, not a lot of folks are that interested in couples therapy. It's mm. um, it's probably a less specialized and a less focused area in terms of like how the educational training goes for the, the sure. PhD level psychology degrees. So the fact that I said that I was interested in couples therapy, basically like everybody thought that that meant I was an expert. Um, and I really, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she's open to it. You got more than you bargained for. Yeah. I just, but I honestly, truly like just the willingness to, um, 
think about um, interventions on that level and in that frame, I think just kind of set me on course towards specializing in that. So I just really kind of pulled things in as I could. Um, I went, I went on to be hired at the VA. And so I was able to do a few certifications in couples therapy. So integrative behavioral couples therapy and cognitive behavioral conjoint therapy are two Mm -hmm. couples therapies that are taught and trained in the VA. Um, I love both, but I specifically was interested in EFT because it has a an attachment. Um, it has attachment mm-hmm. at its theoretical framework. So yeah. I was looking for how I could get my my certification and training. Um, basically, since I kind of figured out that EFT existed, so um, I think after I was licensed for about a year, I was able to go through my EFT level one certification training, um, and I was fortunate enough to do that with Sue Johnson. Um, Sue Johnson's the developer of emotional mm-hmm. therapy. Um, it's so, amazing. Yeah, she used to do one training a year and it happened to be that she was doing it in Pasadena which wasn't too far from where I was living so I got to do my level one with the with Sue and then I did my level two uh training right before I had my first son um okay. just continued to teach and train and, and yeah, <clears throat> as I could because I just really enjoy it honestly yeah 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 and I think I think people generally or at least I'm seeing it more and more have an awareness of attachment style or it's it's a little bit buzzy right now right it's a little um in vogue I guess to to talk about attachment and you know people are asking about what kind of attachment do I have and that sort of thing so I think that's a good gateway to understanding a little bit what EFT entails but could you tell us a little more about sort of like EFT's approach um and then also CBT's approach and, and what's what's involved with with that modality as well yeah, for sure. I mean, what I love about EFT is um, it is based in the theory of attachment, right? But the focus mm-hmm. of EFT is really on understanding our day-to-day experiences through the doorway of emotions, right? So we can sort of walk through a lot of different doorways when we think about somebody's day-to-day experiences, right? We could walk through mm-hmm. the door their behaviors or their cognitions or the doorway of their emotions, or some people might walk through the door of their like somatic experiences, right? Mm-hmm. EFT is about really walking through the doorway of emotions to sort of understand somebody's internal world and their landscape more richly mm-hmm. and at a deeper level to understand what are the patterns that they have established in terms of their internal emotional life that create some kinds of dead ends, right? Like in terms of their life, you know, Mm -hmm. emotions are really like a form of understanding our experiences, right? It's like one way of accessing what's happening in your world. Mm -hmm. This room, I would have feelings about it and that could tell you things about what my experience is, but we all sort of turn, you know, do different twists and turns in terms of our emotional world and we can get stuck and basically disconnect from like the intention of that emotional cue. And yeah. EFT is about kind of understanding those levels of emotion, <laughs> helping people get down to, um, you know, hopefully the deepest layer of their emotional world so that they can fully understand and organize their internal experiences and then decide what they're going to do based on based on that access to their internal world. You know, that is different from CBT. Um, you know, usually that what's interesting about therapy is like the end goal is really the same, right? Like having a deeper level of like mm-hmm. your world and your experiences and changing, you know, your patterns. Um, but CBT mm-hmm. will walk through the doorway of thoughts and behaviors first, right? Yeah. What were you thinking to yourself? 
what are those sort of automatic thoughts that come up in a particular situation, looking for patterns amongst those thoughts, and then challenging or restructuring those thoughts so that you can find different behaviors um, and then different mm-hmm. patterns between your thoughts and yeah. behaviors that hopefully lead to um, different experiences. Yeah, that's a really helpful distinction. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't practice EFT, Tatiana, I'm not trained in it. Um, just a familiar about it. But I was just thinking about, I do do CBT and trauma-focused CBT, but I was thinking about um, like how much agency that gives somebody to understand their emotions and where they come from. You know, like, I, and like a lot of my clients, you know, now are like, do you think I have anxious attachment? Do you think, like they're asking all these questions, you know, like you were saying, Kara's like very buzzy. Like I saw this thing on TikTok. What do you think, you know? Yeah. But um, I was just thinking about- Yeah, very trendy right now. <laughs> yeah, it's very trendy. Like how many people just don't, even know what their emotions are. It's just some sort of sensation. So I think that's so, it's such a neat thing to probably understand that gives you some agency and probably takes away some shame too. Yeah. Of of course, when you look at your attachment style and why you are the way you are, um, which is so empowering to clients. I'm sure you, I'm sure you see that like, rewarding work of them connecting some of that yeah that's such a well yeah that point is so well taken I do think that I do think that in the room sometimes like I think really good CBT involves a lot of EFT techniques right sure yeah he also incorporates similar themes in CBT Mm -hmm. like where the starting point you know that's kind of how Mm -hmm. I think and I also think though that with a focus explicitly on emotions and sort of opening the, I think of it like an accordion folder, right. Of like somebody's internal world and their emotional, um, the emotional valence in that internal world. Mm -hmm. I think it really helps people find ways to sit with and be more present with their emotions, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to slow down, to sit with themselves in sort of a mindful way. Um, and, you know, having a therapist, you know, go through that process with you, I think helps to model that like emotions are really not are in between. They're just part of our day-to-day life. Right. Sure, yeah. So we have information, information. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I do sometimes CBT folks can get a little caught up in and the thoughts and the behavior miss times opportunities to open experience emotionally with a client, or sure. I, I found that at least in terms of my work. Sure, sure. Tatiana, can you tell us a little bit about um, what populations CBT and EFT are most suited for, and then a little bit about syndrome presentation and reasons for pursuing therapy by those folks? Yeah, gosh, it's you know, I almost I think like CBT is probably one of the frontline treatments for like almost anything. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Um, And similarly, I would say, I think EFT casts like a really wide net. One one of the things that I do think is helpful maybe to just distinguish a little bit is that if we're, if we're going to start with sort of the science and like the research angle, a lot more research has been done on CBT. So we should just kind of say Mm -hmm. that CBT is probably one of the most researched and and well-established forms of, 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 short-term treatment. And EFT has the most research behind it when you actually think about couples therapy. So that's how I sort of yeah. walked through our way into EFT was I really wanted to do good couples therapy. I wanted to be a really good couples therapist. And so there's a few forms of couples treatment that are just like gold standard couples treatments yeah, sure. at the top of those. Um, however, I will say EFT was, you know, developed as an individual treatment as well. Um, mm-hmm. Founded by Les Greenberg, um, who's a psychologist, who I believe he's South African actually, and I, but he works out of Toronto. So, I, so he teaches oh, okay. in 
Canada. Um, and then interestingly, Sue Johnson, I believe, um, did her dissertation in Les Greenberg's lab. So she worked with, he was oh. graduate mentors. And she really decided to focus on the couples therapy um, sort of version of EFT mm-hmm. on to sort of disseminate that really broadly. Um, but it's always had an individual component. And I think similarly to the kinds of things that we might you know, sort of like the average person who's going looking for for um, for uh, therapy would be looking for probably well treated by both CBT and EFT. So your depression, anxieties, you know, yeah. poor sleep, difficulty with relationships, um, just wanting to understand yourself a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think that when we want when we think about like who's a better fit for one versus the other, I mean, one of the things that I often think about is that. You know, clients who or people who, um, you know, tend to be really interested in their thoughts, like really thinking a lot, sometimes Mm -hmm. thinking, um, Mm -hmm. get into CBT, which is a great place to learn about your thoughts, but they can sort of overemphasize the importance of the rational mind. um, Mm -hmm. But can, you know, I think sometimes CBT can help us kind of like collude with the avoidance around experiencing our emotions. So I often like, like, you know, clients who are really insightful, really smart, like Mm -hmm. uh, they've done research. Like, I think these are some of the things that I get, you know, these are some of my thinking traps, so to speak. I'm sort of like, well, why don't, I mean, that would actually be a nice opportunity to to go through a different doorway, right? To go through Mm -hmm. emotions, to learn maybe how to sit with and be a little bit more present and slow down and and turn off some of the attention Mm -hmm. um, to the thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because I love that distinguishing factor between, you know, CBT is really about directly changing, restructuring, leaning into your thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think EFT takes an approach that we don't actually have to have direct contact with changing the thoughts. We could actually just have a different kind of experience around being able to sit with our emotions, observe the connection between our emotions and our thoughts, and find open up the the lens angle a little bit and for different elements of our experience that actually might have something to say that we have previously tuned out or as opposed to getting overly caught into the idea that it is that our thoughts are the main mechanism for how we like have change in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our podcast is primarily about women, right? And so one of the things that I run into, I'm in private practice, is maybe around 30 to 40s working moms who are overwhelmed and don't know why. And so when we start talking about like recognition of emotion or body sensations, they don't really know they have them because it's one, just like overwhelmed, right? And so if you were to tell somebody like that who has difficulty recognizing emotion, and you know you know this, like it could be for a million reasons. I have clients who, um, you know, maybe that was something growing up was, it was too much. And so they learned to stuff it down or it wasn't you know, or they didn't have any connection at all. They were shut down. Right. Yeah. So it just is something where it paralyzes them or they have a spouse that re-triggers that, you know, like dismisses or minimizes their, their um, feelings and behavior. So they then dismiss and minimize their own. So um, when you think about that, um, what, what are some ways, like what's a good place to get better connected with your emotions? If you could talk about a, like a place to start for somebody who doesn't even know they have them. Like, or sometimes if it is a man, often what they'll present with is like, I've quote anger issues and I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> There's usually something else going on. Right. There's more going so on there. I was yeah. just wondering, you know, what would you, what would you say is a good place to help an individual start, try to figure out 
what that is outside of the one, <laughs> the one way they're going. Yeah. I often think that like when we're at that first stage of kind of understanding our emotions, we're actually, I think we can get a little caught into the idea that we're going for content, right? Like mm-hmm. I have to figure out what that next emotion is, but actually the whole thing in, the, in, in a lot of, you know, most forms of therapy is about process. So it's mm-hmm. actually sometimes a more interesting question to me for, you know, and, and sometimes an easier, more accessible client uh, question for clients when we're asking the question, just like, what is happening when you even think about what your emotion is? What are you noticing your mind, in your body, in your internal world happens when you even try to make contact with whatever that emotion is, right? And that will get us usually into the pattern where the process, well, my mind says it's too much, or I think about my to-do list, or I feel guilty that I even have emotions, right? Whatever (laughs) that, you know, however people would answer that question is usually like our first clue into like, what is the process that you have developed um, to cope with or manage your emotions. Um, and that when we're armed with a little information about what that step, what those steps are, mm-hmm. that we'll do with their process, that becomes like how we start to understand each step that we take in that deepening process. Like, and we can kind of predict sometimes alongside of clients, like probably as we stay here together for a moment, you're going to think of your to-do list, right? Cause that's your mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. Let's just observe that and let's ask the question, what else might be here? Mm. Might you be feeling if we put that on the side, we, it will be, we will get to that later. Um, let's stop for a moment and just be curious about what else you might be experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. I love your, I love the emphasis on, on the process of emotions, not just, you know, and I think there's a lot of discomfort that comes for people um, who have never never sat with their emotions or who are in this habit of like pushing them down or over anal- like over rationalizing um, the things that they're experiencing. And so that feels much more approachable in terms of learning to connect to what that emotional experience is. You know, this is all this, it's a whole experience. So what's happening inside the entire experience and the entire um, process of navigating through it. Um, so, yeah. Just like as an EFT therapist, I can say for myself, I think as therapists, sometimes we need to sort of like unglue ourselves from like getting to right. the of the emotional sure. process right away, yes. right? That right. I can mm-hmm. journey all the way down. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things that Les Greenberg has, um, I, I've sort of, I can't remember if it was a talk that I went to that he did or a video of his that I watched, but he talks about exploring every level, right? Like fully, you know, mm-hmm. even the overwhelm feeling is a full level that we want to really get to know mm-hmm. that level, right? Because, and this is Les Greenberg's line, is you can't leave somewhere that you've never fully arrived. So really mm-hmm. to stay. That gave me goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Um, just being willing and sometimes just being willing to step mm-hmm. into that first level of like, you feel really overwhelmed. Tell me more about overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Like, is also a really, you know, empowering and validating experience for clients. Oh, definitely. 
I think giving clients permission to observe, right? Like give them permission to observe. Because I think people go and like even clients come in ready to fix. <laughs> so I think just noticing and being curious. Right. Yeah. Just make me feel better. Yeah. But like that, there's so much power. I, I mean, I always tell my clients, Karis, I talk about this all the time about just being curious and noticing and observing, right? Because there's so much power in observing. Yeah. And if we skip that piece, then we skip the whole, I mean, go back to process, right? You skip all this yeah. really beautiful information you need about yourself in order to really yeah. learn more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I love, I love yeah, the so stance good. of curiosity. Curiosity, because I think the other thing that that does for people is it helps reduce the level of judgment. And there's so much self judgment we all we all experience to a degree, but especially for people who aren't comfortable with their own emotions, you know, when they have them, like you, one of you said, I can't remember, um, just the shame of having the emotion, right? Or, or, um, you know, and so when we can move from uh, from like the judgment and that shame narrative to a place of curiosity, it just opens us up so much more. Like we're much more willing and able to confront the emotional experience and to experience the emotional experience. Um, so I just think that's such a powerful shift. Yeah. I think modeling that as therapists, like really has like, is one of the, yes. Yeah. Empowering our clients that like, we can be slow and steady and mm-hmm. tolerant, like whatever, you know, with gentle, with gentle and warm curiosity, like whatever unfolds, you know? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, the avoidance of emotions. And so are the, you know, um, and like we sort of mentioned already, whether that's a learned pattern of, hey, I had to, to survive my environment growing up, I had to put my emotions away, or somebody else shut them down, or whatever the case may be. And so I think that can be a really challenging barrier to work through, um, particularly when it comes to emotions. Um, like you like you sort of said, most people can get some can build some awareness around like their thought processes and can attach really, really easily to some of those interventions. But when it comes to emotions, really, that's where you see people kind of packing it away. So um, what do you think, you know, when it comes to, to that piece, to the avoidance, other than like encouraging process and some of the things that we've already talked about, what are some, what are some helpful ways to help people, or I guess, to guide people to navigate towards connecting back or towards resisting that urge to tuck them away and, and ignore them. Yeah. I think we've all just like normalizing and validating, like with really like sincere authenticity, like avoidant emotions is a really helpful skill that like saved your life. Yes. Yeah. Saved your emotional life saved your physical life, like in some really key moments. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think just starting there and acknowledging that like, I think a lot of people, for example, a lot of people who come in with a little bit more of an avoidant style or more withdrawing style around their emotions have a lot of like, they're kind of like, well, you know, they have a lot of concerns. Like, well, I don't want to feel my emotions all the time, you know, or I don't want to, yeah. you know, whatever those fears are just really, you know, kind of acknowledging right. That like the avoidance of emotions is a, is a coping skill that was learned at some really critical times. The desire of I mean, my perspective is I'm not, I would never want to take that style away from someone. We're going to yeah. get that style, right? But we're going to learn to stretch it like a rubber band, right? We're going to learn to be a little bit more flexible. We're going to learn to make contact with our emotions in key moments, right? Mm-hmm. We all lots of emotions that come during our day that actually are maybe not key moments, right? And there are a lot of things mm-hmm. that let slide, right? 
Um, but there are going to be some times in key moments where because of someone's avoidance style, they are not getting the information that they need from that moment. And therefore, they are sending a scrambled message to their environment, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like honoring, working within someone's frame, right? That like, there's mm-hmm. we don't need, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're not turning your world upside down. We're learning to stretch. And that will feel uncomfortable. But are you kind of mm-hmm. in there with me, right? Like, are you... Right yourself um i would say that's like one of the ways that i think i personally have learned over time um just to really like honor someone's you know collective you know honor their skills actually Mm -hmm. um and you know in the work that i've done as a couples therapist i've honest i can honestly say like i am not somebody who's a more avoidantly sort of wired by nature so it took me a lot Mm -hmm. of time to understand like there's real skill and benefit to to let something go you know yeah yeah um, so yeah, like mm-hmm. sort of starting there um, from a strengths-based approach. Um, yeah, and then also just acknowledging that like sometimes some part of that is like you know the work of therapy is very fish out of water for people who come in. You know, so, like, I get if you're like I don't even know if I want to be here. You're probably I, I think right. I'm probably going to be judging whether this is a good fit for a long time. You're going to really mm-hmm. be wondering like what is you know you know, the proof won't really be in the pudding immediately for clients who come in attached um, or with that more withdrawing style and just, yeah, honoring that and recognizing that. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I think, you know, sort of that cost benefit analysis piece of like, hey, this has worked for you for a really long time. So, you know, maybe there are still scenarios in which that still works for you, but obviously you're here because there are also scenarios that it's not working for you within, you know, so, so holding on to some of that. And I think that helps soften sort of the, maybe the discomfort or the, or the fear around reconnecting with the emotions that like, you don't have to, like you said, you don't have to abandon it. Like this is part of your framework. This is part of what has worked for you. The other thing I would just add real quickly is that when we're in the session with clients, we also want to reflect back when they have done the thing that we've talked about, you know, like think because as therapists, we live in this world of understanding emotions and, you know, sometimes we can mm-hmm. and really sell, mis-celebrating with clients. Like this is, you just mm-hmm. did it. You sat here, you identified an emotion. I learned more about mm-hmm. your world. You learned more about it. You didn't leave. You didn't hit exit on the Zoom room or whatever it is. <laughs> right. You did it. This is it. You know, I think sometimes mm-hmm. clients who feel a little bit more confused about the process of making contact with their emotions can also miss that like literally mm-hmm. what before just happened, right? This is it. There's yeah. no other level of wizardry that you haven't achieved. It's literally yeah, just, right. just doing this a few more times together and in those mm-hmm. key moments so that you can understand your world in a way that is more organized, more coherent, and then send mm-hmm. a clear message to your environment. No, yeah, that's so good. Celebrating those wins. And I do I do find that clients need to he- need that kind of validation and need to hear when they've had the wins, whether or not they recognize it. I mean, either way, it feels good to receive that. But I think you're so right. Like a lot of times it's easy to miss that. And so really paying attention and being able to to acknowledge when that happens can be really powerful. And I think that piece too takes takes out like the bigness of it for clients too because it really is you know yeah. these little baby step things that then grow and then become bigger and then all of a sudden people not all of a sudden but it feels like all of a sudden they feel better so I think you know going back to uh, you know pointing it out makes it a little bit more 
like, oh, I can, I'm okay, I can do this. And it maybe didn't feel like a big deal because they didn't recognize it. And then it makes it easier to put into practice moving forward, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had clients who are like, it's not a big deal. I'm like, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. A huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and also on the other side of that, when, when a person defaults to what they've what they yeah. like, maybe it's that avoidance piece or whatever they default, just acknowledging like, that's not a failure. And that doesn't mean that you haven't made progress. That's not, you know, an indication of the opposite that there's no progress there. It's just our defaults are strong and sometimes we're going to go there and it's okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think you've spoken a little bit about how like EFT and CBT has, has, or have, um, shaped your work as a clinician, but, um, has, I guess, is there any other impact as a clinician that you think specializing in those particular areas um, has had on you? And then also personally, how has that kind of connected you to yourself um, and that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are such great questions. I mean, first of all, I just think I feel so grateful that I have learned about therapy, right? Like EBT is so powerful. It's a hugely powerful tool. And sometimes I even personally take for granted, like how accessible that tool is in my life, how quickly I can yeah. do that in my life. I think it's one of the real, that's just one of the beauties of CBT. It's elegance, it's simplicity. Obviously it can go profoundly deep, but that it has this accessible, you know, at any moment we're having thoughts and we can mm-hmm. quickly, right? As you learn that skill pretty quickly, like what am I thinking that is getting in my way here is like a question that I probably ask myself at least once a day, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have little kids, so you know, being able to have trained myself enough to take a step back and look at like the thoughts that might be getting in my way. It just, that's mm-hmm. something that just pays dividends. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then specifically, in EFT, you know, learning about attachment theory, learning about how I experience my own emotions um, has just helped me form like a really solid foundation in my relationships in ways that I just feel like really, really grateful for. Right. Mm-hmm. My husband is a therapist is a lawyer and I don't think he really thinks or knows at all about EFT, but he probably mm-hmm. like thinks and knows about some of the ways that I talk about my internal experience with him and will say, mm-hmm. out, you know, I'm really feeling this. I'm having the urge to do this because my mind is telling me this about our relationship, but I know that that's not true. So let me have a conversation with you where I just mm-hmm. bring those points right to you and, and talk transparently and share that process, you know, like mm-hmm. with my partner. Um, and I feel like, yeah, just like immeasurably grateful that I, am less caught in reactive patterns. I mean, I get caught in them like everybody does, right? But that I have a way of thinking, um, whether that's in the moment or a few hours after or the next day, uh, I can organize my world internally and and relationally um, and share that in ways that I can stay connected with my partner. And that's just like a huge gift. Um, yeah. I just love, I mean, I just love relationships. Like they, they matter. Mm-hmm really relational person. So I think having the foundation of understanding attachment just really helps me feel solid in how I think about relationships, Mm -hmm. right? My reaction in relationships and just keeps me from being too reactive in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So one of the things, um, I mean, Karis and I have talked about this quite a bit, but having been clinicians for quite a while, one of the things that I've definitely run into, and I know you have two Karis, is clients don't know modalities, right? And they don't research because they don't know to. So sometimes they'll see a, a non-trauma-informed therapist for trauma work <laughs> and don't know that there are things like EMDR or trauma-focused CBT or other things that are specifically for trauma. And then land in my office four years later feeling kind of unheard and saying things like, you're my last hope. <laughs> so then I educate them, like, this is what this is, this is what I do. So when you think about uh, EFT and CBT, um, if somebody were looking for those modalities, what's most important um, to look for in, in someone who specializes in those two modalities? And what kinds of questions um would be good for them to ask a clinician if they're thinking about working with them about their framework and, and that sort of thing. Cause I think I always tell we, I mean, we, I think we, you probably do too. I don't, I don't know you very well, Tatiana, but I'm sure I always tell clients like we work for you. So it's like, you get to ask these questions and make sure we're a good fit. And it's my job to present that to you. And if it doesn't work, cause I'm, I'm not trained in that, or that's not an area that I specialize in, like I'm happy to give you the number of this person. Right. But I think it's, I, w- I want to give, um, clients agency to ask those questions to find the right fit for them because it's their process. So what would you suggest in that realm? That's a great question. I mean, EFT is um, interesting in terms of like the <clears throat> landscape in terms of training and, and you know, sure. one of these forms of, you know, treatments that has like specific levels of certification. So I always think that's a nice place to start, to start. Right. I mean, I will, mm-hmm. like there are therapists who I'm not certified in EFT, but I've done level one, level two and enough that I, I could be certified, but I just haven't gone through the process, honestly, of submitting my tapes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like right at the wrong moments in terms of my EFT certification, but make um, <laughs> it pretty easy in the EFT world to see who's gone through their sort of, mm-hmm. you know, approved training so there's like a there's a website called ICEFT I-C-E-E um I can't remember what it stands for like International Center for Education in EFT something like that um okay. I-C-E-E-F-T and that is like run by Sue Johnson and, and her um the mm-hmm. trained with her um and they have like an international um directory of people and you can sort by who's done their level one training who's done level one and level two. Oh, okay that's nice yeah other things like that. So I kind of start there. I mean, there are going to be great therapists who haven't done their level one and level two, like that's, mm-hmm. cool. but for clients, I think to your point, uh, Rachel, like giving them some information that give that, that arms them with some tools to understand quickly and easily, like who has some credentials in this area, I think is just like more important than missing the few therapists mm-hmm. great that aren't on that list, for example. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for CBT, it's a little bit more widespread because there's a lot of different kind of camps that train. Sure. In but I think directly asking people like, how long have have you have you specialized in CBT? Have you done any advanced trainings in CB in CBT? Have you received advanced consultation supervision um, in CBT? How long was that for, for example? Because it takes a good year of uh, supervision, um, like good close contact clinical supervision. Mm-hmm learn something well enough to consider yourself I think like a baseline Uh, Mm -hmm. um, there are of course um, like great training centers that train in CBT so like the Beck Institute is one of them Um, Mm -hmm. I believe the I don't know actually I I actually don't know if the Beck Institute has the same sort of directory um, for folks that have taken their trainings Mm -hmm. Uh, 
but you could certainly ask people like where they did their trainings and what kind mm-hmm. of have um, in terms of an advanced um, specialization in CBT. And I certainly would, I Rachel, like we are here for our clients, right? We are serving them. So I think any questions that you have, right? Like mm-hmm. have you, you specialized in trauma? How long have you specialized in trauma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should, should be on the table. Definitely. Hey, so real briefly, can you, can you help um, anyone who might listen, be listening to this, understand what the difference might be between like the level one and level two for EFT? Sure. Yeah. Level one. And I will say I did my EFT couples training. Um, so there okay. are another set of trainings that they're doing for what they call EFTI, which is EFT for individual clients. Individuals. Okay. Not sure. I, I feel that their levels are similar, but I, I hope this maps on. Um, the level one training is like the foundational training. So it's it's a week-long training all day um, where you're um, learning about all of the principles, all of the theories that underlie EFT, right? So you're learning about attachment theory, you're watching live sessions, you know, with couples consent. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing mm-hmm plays and practice, you're understanding the foundational framework. Um, The level two training is done in small groups and with close supervision, and it happens over the course of a year. So it's four weekends over a year with supervision and consultation um, in between those. And that's actually where someone goes through the steps of understanding each stage of EFT, the specific and skills required of a therapist and demonstrating their work to the group. So if someone has completed their level two training, you can probably guess that they have like a pretty solid grasp on actually doing the work of EFT. Whereas a level one training, they're going to understand more broadly and like conceptually, like what the mm-hmm. foundational elements are of that. Okay. Yeah. That's a helpful distinction. Yeah. And th- that is it. And there's only level one, level two, and then you apply for certification. You Okay. Uh, beyond that, it's like training to become a supervisor or a trainer. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, Tatiana, thank you so much for being with us today and taking the time to talk with us about, about these couple of treatment approaches and just really appreciate your, your wealth of, of insight and experience and expertise. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's always so fun to talk about it. Truly. Thanks for joining the Therapy Sisters today for our episode. We're so glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And if you want more, please feel free to connect with us on Facebook at the Therapy Sisters podcast, on Instagram at the underscore therapy underscore sisters, or feel free to shoot us an email at thetherapysisters at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review. We look forward to connecting again next Tuesday. Over and out. <laughs>